We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Ten oh seven, KMOX at your service. I'm George Sells. Welcome to the final hour of the program. Plenty more Cardinals to talk about. Kevin Wheeler will be joining us in a few minutes to discuss all things Redbirds. Uh, talking later in the hour about the whole situation with the job market, where all the employees have gone. And it's interesting, uh, kind of a workforce expert we're talking to, and she paints a picture uh, that really includes a great deal of leverage going forward for younger workers. We've heard we've heard the story before or we've heard the claim before how this generation or that generation is going to change the way America does business. The corporations are finally going to have to give in on X, Y, and Z. You know, they're going to have to start letting people work for 10-hour days instead of five, eight-hour days, or they're going to have to start letting people work from home, or they're going to have to start doing a better job with child care and paternity leave and, and maternity leave, of course, and things like that. And, yeah, I, I remember seeing this about Generation X in a newspaper article in, you know, 1991, and nothing really changed. And then, you know, the millennials come along. Okay, they're going to be the ones to do it. Nothing really changed. But is it different this time? And uh, she makes a pretty compelling argument for why it is. So that'll be coming up in a little while. The news was inter- interesting to listen to uh, with Sean just a couple of minutes ago. A couple of those last stories really stuck out to me. Uh, first of all, the study that schools without a mask mandate were two and a half times more likely to have a COVID outbreak than schools with a mask mandate. Well, duh. Are we finally figuring this stuff out? I mean, this, you know, it's, it's such common sense. The science has been there all along and everybody wants to argue about it. Not everybody, but there are a lot of people who want to argue about it. And I mean, there are certain basic scientific truths. If you step out the window of the 50th floor of a building, it will not end well for you. And if you go into a place without a mask, as opposed to with a mask, when the coronavirus is floating around and there are people who are not vaccinated, you have a better chance without a mask to get sick. So maybe, you know, one more piece of, I keep thinking there's gonna be some piece of evidence that's going to finally put the idiocy to rest And people will start just, you know, looking at all this stuff for what it is, do what they need to do to protect themselves. And yes, that does include vaccination. Please get one. You know, I keep thinking at some point, you know, people are going to finally wise up so we can put all this behind us. Really tired of explaining to my kids why all the fun things at school are currently forbidden. You know, all the stuff that makes school fun are things that they can't do. Uh it's it's mind-boggling 
And the reason for it is the people who don't want to take the right precautions to put this thing to rest. The people who don't want to get vaccinated, the people who don't want to wear masks. Well, more evidence on that one. And if I can urge, you know, my day job's in a school system. If I can urge folks, once again, if you've got a kid who's eligible to get the vaccine, get that child the vaccine. We're right on the verge now of having schools that are going to be a, a real safe haven with teachers and staff all being vaccinated. If we can start, if we can get these eligible kids vaccinated, it's going to make, you know, you'll be able to like rest easy when your kid goes to school again. You can't tell me that's not a positive thing. Other piece out of the news that jumped out at me was the county executive in St. Charles telling St. Louis it needs to do something about crime. We all know we have a crime problem. So for starters, I don't think that uh, any real news is being broken there with, gee, it'd be nice to do something about crime. But secondly, with all due respect, Mr. County Executive, I haven't seen St. Charles really stepping up as a big partner on much of anything with St. Louis County or St. Louis City in the 13 years that I've lived here. So if you're going to step in and do something to help, great. But if you're just going to sit there and, you know, lob tomatoes from the peanut gallery, I, don't, I, I think we've got better things to do and better people to listen to. Just my thought on that one. Kevin Wheeler's next, 1012 on KMOX. All the news and all that matters to you. The voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Ten sixteen on a Tuesday night, KMOX. I'm George Sells with you for the next 45 minutes or so. And as we sit here, less than 24 hours from the Cardinals' first pitch against the Dodgers in the wild card game for the National League, American League wild card game underway right now. Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees, Boston up 6-1 to one in the bottom of the 8th at Fenway Park. And right now there is an accountant with Major League Baseball whose ulcer is growing by the minute as he is about to lose market number one for the entire postseason and could lose market number two if the Cardinals take out the Dodgers tomorrow night. And with that, we are joined by Kevin Wheeler. Kevin, do you think they're uh, getting an ulcer here? I doubt it. I mean, I I don't think that uh, they're that concerned. I mean, a lot of those people will still watch the World Series anyway. But, yeah, I mean, if you gave them their choice, they'd love to have Yankees-Dodgers in the World Series. I mean, that's no question about it. But plenty of big markets left, right? I mean, even though the St. Louis itself isn't a big market, the Cardinals are always one of the highest-rated teams in baseball. They, you know, they're always a top seven, eight team in terms of revenue. So they have a regional fan base. So I think that'll make up for it. So if the Cardinals knock off the Dodgers, they'll they'll at least have uh, the ability to make up for some of that loss. So how excited are you? I, let, let's just be fanboys for a second. I I'm I can't wait. Tomorrow is going to be the longest day in the world because I cannot wait to be on my couch, beer in hand, for the first pitch of that baseball game. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm more that way for like a game seven. Uh, of an NLCS or the World Series, it's not that I'm not for a wild card game, but obviously these things are such crapshoots. When you you know when you don't you know, if you're looking at a game five or a game seven or game five in the division series, you've had that build up, right? You've had the back and forth and how the matchups have gone, and clearly they've played each other pretty evenly throughout the series, and you get to that point. This just one and done is just so unpredictable. 
Um, and, you know, you look at tonight with the Yankees and Red Sox. I mean, those two teams had identical records coming into this. They're arch rivals. And, you know, it's pretty much been all Red Sox from the word go. And, um, you know, when you when you looked at the two teams in advance, you know, the, the Yankees had the better starter in the game. I mean, not that, that Nathan Eovaldi is anything to sneeze at. He's really good. But Garrett Cole's the highest paid pitcher in Major League Baseball, the biggest contract ever given to anybody, and, uh, and, or to a pitcher at least. And, you know, you would have said on paper, oh, yeah, that, that gives them the edge. But he was out after two innings and given up, what, you know, three earned runs in those two yep. innings and had to be uh, replaced pretty early on. So, you know, that kind of illustrates the nature of these one-run games or one, these one-and-out games. What does tomorrow feel like to you? Because uh, talking with Tom Ackerman earlier on, and uh, Tom, Tom feels like, even despite the fact that two really good pitchers are going, that there will be a decent bit of offense. Uh, that it'll make it to the bullpens and and that sort of thing. I and for some reason to me and and maybe this is there, there's no logic to this other than just looking at the names on the backs of the jerseys. But it, to me, it has the feel of that game five Carpenter Halliday in 2011. You know, two great pitchers staring each other down to the to the end. Uh, and maybe and maybe the truth lies somewhere in the middle. What does it feel like to you? It's that it's got that kind of vibe, right? I mean, you know, you're you're talking if you look at that 2011 game 5 uh with with Chris Carpenter and Roy Halladay, um you had the same dynamic in that game that you, that you have in this one. You know, you have uh the, the the heavy favorite, right? The Phillies were the best team in baseball that at that time. They had a 102 win season and this loaded lineup with Ryan Howard and Chase Utley. I mean, they were you know, Jimmy Rollins was an MVP in that era. Uh, they had Roy Halladay, who you know won the Cy Young in 2010. He was the Cy Young runner-up in 2011. And then you know, look, nothing, nothing against Chris Carpenter. He was really good in 2011, but he wasn't like Roy Halladay good. You know, right. I mean, he, you know, he was 11 and nine with a 3.45 ERA, which again is is very good. And maybe more importantly than any of that, he threw 237 innings. Um, so yeah, that, that, that it's, but it's similar to what we're talking about with Wainwright, right? I mean, Wayno and, and Carpenter was 36, Wayno is 40. So you had the older guy who's still good, but not at the peak of where the other guy is. So I think that it, it is a pretty fair comp when, when you look at those two matching up. Play psychiatrist for me because I still, as good as they have been for the last month, I still have this that that feeling in the back of my head that, that we were getting every time in June and July and and parts of August, most of August, where it would feel like we were starting to get some momentum and they'd win a couple of games and then they lose just as many as they had just won. And it just and you kept every time they'd win a couple, you start having that feeling that the bottom's going to drop out. And I should be past that after a 17-game winning streak, for God's sake. But I, I can't – it's just still that little thing in the back of my mind is like, oh, please don't let this be the day. Well, here, here's the problem with allowing anything that happened during the regular season to get into the middle of all this. I mean, the, the Cardinals won the series season series against the Dodgers. Yep. I mean, they won four out of seven. Well, I mean, how much did that impact the – or how much did their records or anything prior in the season impact those games? Didn't really at all, right? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, so it's kind of the same thing as this, right? I, I, I think it's it's hard to say that anything that we saw, and I mean even even September, even the 17-game winning streak, it's hard to say that any of it comes into play. It might. 
but we have examples in in you know Major League Baseball playoffs past of you know super red hot teams coming in and getting smoked right out of the gate, and we've had teams that were struggling and scuffling and not really you know doing a whole hell of a lot. They come in and all of a sudden you know they're they're on a World Series run, and you just you can't really predict you know like how that's going to go. So I mean the best way I can talk you out of it is. Like for example, let, let's just do let's just do 2006 for an example, right? The Cardinals had a seven-game losing streak in September, Oof. and I mean seven-game losing streak like September 20th to the 26th, like late in the year. Now they recovered and won three of the last five, but the reality is they lost nine of their last twelve, and they won the World Series, which so, is still an amazing thing. Yeah, I mean like. <laughs> You know that that's why you know all of us that that look at these numbers and all of the 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 analytics types that have taken an even deeper dive than I ever have. Just say there's just no connection between regular season performance and what happens once you get to the postseason. It's they're complete. They're two completely different constructs. One is a tournament, and the other one is a marathon. It's always so fascinating. Also, the way that you know a fan mindset obviously is going to be different than a player mindset, but. The fan mindset, you're not scared of the Dodgers because you think back to all these different times. I mean, God, you can go back to Ozzie Smith and great moments, uh, you know, Cardinal great postseason moments against the Dodgers. It, it seems like the Dodgers yeah. are, all, are always there to be a victim when the Cardinals go on a postseason run. Uh, I wonder how much of that, if any of that, even carries over uh, to players who were around for some of those series, just, you know, seeing that uniform, seeing that stadium, and just kind of having a, a, a feel that's got some, some comfort to it. Yeah, I, w- I would imagine it, ha- it probably has zero impact on – because, first of all, there aren't many of those players left. Um, True, from, Yachty and Wayno. The, the last time they <laughs> met was 2013 uh, in a postseason. Now, you're right. I mean, the Cardinals have faced the Dodgers, I think, in five playoff series, and they've won four of those five. Uh, with the only one they lost was 2009, if I remember right. I know they lost that one. I think that, that was Matt game. Holiday's. Yeah, yeah, play. Yeah, the the semi line drive that hit a really unfortunate place in Matt yeah. Holiday's body in left field. Um, <laughs> but the, there's like I I can't imagine a single Dodgers player even knows that. True. Or cares. I mean, a lot of these guys that we're talking about, even even if you're looking at seven eight years ago, a lot of these guys were in high school. They mm-hmm. don't care. They don't care about any of that. All you know, and and just like for these the on the other side of that, Cardinals hitters aren't looking up like we are and going, "Oh crap, it's Max Scherzer." I mean, they respect the guy, but I mean, they're confident professional athletes. They believe that they can get Max Scherzer. I mean, they're you know, Paul Goldschmidt is no slouch. You know, there was just a story done, um, I, and I forget. I think it was ESPN.com might have been The Athletic, and I read it earlier today, and I feel terrible that I can't remember who wrote it. But they polled major league pitchers to ask about the toughest hitters in the playoffs this year. Like, who are the guys you really don't want any part of? And Paul Goldschmidt finished second on the list. Wow. So, I mean, like, you have those dudes. Like, Nolan Arenado is a future Hall of Famer. Like, you have those dudes. It's not like you're sitting here and, you know, you're the little engine that could, and, you know, they're the giant freight train. I mean, you've got guys, too, now, maybe you didn't have the organizational depth for 162 games, you know, and you definitely didn't have three Cy Young contenders like the Dodgers do. And if you were playing them in a five-game series, it would be a lot scarier. But, I mean, in a, in a one-game setting, you got the guys that can, that can play with those guys. And those hitters, 
they're, they, yeah, they respect Max Scherzer, but they're not going up there expecting to fail. Not at all. Not at all. Tell me this. It's late in the game. Tie ball game. Cardinals have a one-run lead. And Dodgers have a guy on. And Albert Pujol steps into the box. How nervous are you? Not at all. Really? <laughs> not even a little? Come on now. I'll, I'll say this. If there's a left-handed pitcher on the mound and you can't go get him because of the three batter minimum, then you're nervous. Then, I, then I'm going to be nervous. If there's a runner on third base with less than two outs, then I'm going to be nervous. Because one thing that, that Albert will do is he will adjust based on the situation. So if he's in a spot, even against, say, Gallegos or Reyes or whatever, if all he needs to do is put a ball in play or get a ball in the outfield, I think he can do that. Um, you know, he's a professional, he's disciplined enough, and he's got the, you know, the the, the uh, proper mentality to make that happen. But, I mean, this season against right-handed pitching, he's hitting a buck 80. And his his slugging percentage is 266. Like, his OP, he, he's literally like 60, 65% below league average against right-handed pitching. But he crushes lefties. He does. So, please do not put your, you know, just just cross your fingers, knock on wood, hope that, you don't have to have a scenario where you bring a lefty in and before he uses three batters, they can go to Albert in a meaningful spot because Albert is destroying left-handers. So what is uh, what is your take? Who do you, oh, here's what question one is: Do you think they play him tomorrow? Because it's that's still very much up in the air. What what does your gut tell you about that? And then I'm gonna I'll go ahead and throw it out here now. I'll give you the sort of cliche sports talk question, but but always a good question is: Who do you think is the the guy, the unheralded guy that maybe we're not thinking about that, that emerges as the star tomorrow? So um, the first part, um, I don't think he'll play. They could go that route, but the Dodgers are pretty strict about playing matchups and about trying to, to you know, set themselves up as well as they can, um, you know, for the righty-lefty thing. And you know, they don't have Max Muncy, who's a big left-handed bat, and that really takes away part of their freedom in that regard. So I would imagine that it's Cody Bellinger that gets that shot, um, even though he's been terrible this year because of injuries. Um, you know, you never know when you might catch lightning in the bottle with a former MVP. And they also have a, a guy off the bench named Matt Beatty who's put up pretty good numbers against right-handed pitching this year too. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't anticipate them looking at Albert's you know, 180 batting average and 500 OPS against right-handed pitching and saying, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. I think they're going to save him for a spot late in the game where they might be able to take advantage of it. Uh, the second part, uh, if I'm going to pick the, you know, the, you know, the Carl Spackler Cinderella story out of nowhere, <laughs> um, it, and I, nobody in the big leagues is out of nowhere, but you, you know, yeah. I, you, you get what I'm saying. I, I could see that easily being someone like Tommy Edmond or, or Edmundo Sosa. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what Sosa's status is. I know uh, Mike Schilt has been playing coy, and for good reason, competitive reasons. He's been playing coy with what he's going to do at short. Uh, but Sosa has so far outperformed Paul DeYoung late in the year. I think you probably, if he's healthy enough, you got he's probably going to go that route. But I'll go with Tommy Edmond since I know he's going to be in there. Um, he's batting in front of Goldschmidt and and O'Neill and Arenado. Um, he's not exactly the big sexy name, but um, I could see him as a scrappy dude, you know, finding a way on base a couple of times against Scherzer and then swiping a bag and maybe scoring from second on a single or something like that. Uh, I think Tommy Edmond would be that guy for me for the Cardinals. And one other question I was just found myself thinking about this the other day. 
Is is Matt Carpenter on the roster? I mean, is he? Do have we seen the last of him in a Cardinals uniform, or is he is he on the on the roster for this game and for uh, a five game series that could that could theoretically follow? How would he, who would replace? Him? I don't know. I'm just I'm just asking. I, mean, I think that's like, I think that's the issue, right? I yeah. mean, I've had people asking me this a lot. Like he's got to be left off. Who's taking his spot? They're, they don't have anybody on the forty man roster that's going to take his spot. He's a left handed bat. The only other one they have is Lars Newtbar. And, and on the bench, I mean, yeah. And you, you're not going to go with just one left-handed bat against a team that's loaded with dominant right-handed pitching relief pitchers. I mean, you're going to want you're going to want another lefty. Well, who is it? I mean, Justin Williams didn't exactly show us a whole lot earlier in the year in the big leagues, and he's not even been healthy all year at AAA. Nolan Gorman's not on the 40-man roster, and he's 21 years old and has never appeared in a big league game. I mean, they're not going to go that route. Right. Um, you know, it's it's gonna he's gonna be on there, and even though he has struggled, even though he's nowhere near the guy that he used to be, at the very least, what you know is the guy can work in at bat. And mm. you know, uh, look, he he, you know, there's no there's no spinning it right. He, he's not hit well. Right? <laughs> there's no way to play it. Like right? these la- last year and this year combined, he's hitting well under 200. He's like a buck seventy for the last two years combined. I was it's, shocked it's, to see he only had three home runs this year. I mean, I yes, thought he'd run well, into more than that. Yeah, you would think, and you know, no, that that's. I mean, it's just it, he's he's physically diminished. Um, he's he's thirty five years old. He'll turn thirty six in November. He's had core injuries like lower back problems and oblique injuries, and I just don't think his body functions the way that it used to. And that happens at a different pace at different times for different players. You know, I mean, you know, Adam Wainwright's forty and he's recovered. Uh, you know, Chris Carpenter pitched in 2011, was awesome, got hurt in 2012 and never pitched again. Yep. And he was 36, 36, 37 years old. I mean, everybody's body ages differently. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, where people like to get mad at Carpenter and they yell at him about being too pull conscious or too power conscious, that's not the problem. The problem is he got into his mid-30s and starting started having physical problems. And when you have back problems and core muscle injuries – uh, it's hard to be a good hitter. It, you just you're not going to do it. And you know, I I think the valid complaint could have been you might have looked you might you should have looked for a replacement for him during the year. And I think that's a valid second guess. But you don't have a, another realistic option right now to replace him on the roster for this wild card game. Well, lots to look forward to. I'm not even going to ask you to pick the game because I'll I'll let you save that. Th- I mean, I'm just going to defer to Vegas anyway. I mean. <laughs> You know, they have the Dodgers installed as a pretty heavy favorite. So, um, you know, far be it from me to contradict the men in the desert. Oh, come on now. You're Kevin Wheeler. I know. I don't ever go with that. (laughs) 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 This game, honestly, God, this game is a flip of the coin. The Dodgers are clearly the better roster, right? I mean, they, you know, for, for they're, they're absolutely built for a long series. They're absolutely built for a six month season, but in one baseball game, none of that matters. All that's going to matter. So I asked John Mosellock about this earlier tonight. All that matters is who executes better tomorrow. Cannot wait to find out. Kevin Wheeler, thank you for joining us tonight. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. It's 1034 on KMOX. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. 
Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. For the Cardinals, the regular season is done. But there's still more Redbirds baseball. And the Cardinals have secured the second wild card in the National League. It's the Cards and Dodgers in the wild card game Wednesday. Kevin Wheeler has the pregame show at 6.15. First pitch with Rooney and Horton at 7.08. On your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. KMOX at your service on a Tuesday night. And one thing we've been hearing a lot about over the last several months has been almost the disappearance of workers. The job market's gone crazy. Everybody's hiring. Nobody can find anybody to work. And everybody's looking for an answer why. And we may have at least a portion of one. Joined now by Julie Bauke. She is the president and chief career strategist of the Bauke Group. And Julie, welcome to KMOX. Thanks. Appreciate you being with us. Now, what I saw from you that I found absolutely fascinating was the concept that Gen Z, which is the youngest group in the workforce right now, may be a big part of what's missing or where the workers have all gone. Tell me, tell me what you're thinking here. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think it is. um, We've heard a lot over the last several months about, kind of a a narrative that said people are lazy. Nobody wants to work. Once we take away the extra stimulus, people will have to come flooding back in the job market. And it just hasn't happened. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And I think when you look at each generation um, there, they, a piece of each generation has left the workforce or has decided not to come back yet, but their reasons are varied. So when you look at Gen Z, so those are de- those are defined as people born between 1997 and 2012, and so obviously the 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 younger ones aren't in the workforce yet, and so we're really talking about those very young 20s, and they um, they are even more than their predecessors, the millennials. They are about work and life, and not necessarily work. Till I'm 65, then I'll start to have life. And so they are fully into the integration of work into the rest of your life and not letting work rule your life. And so if you think about Gen Z, who you really have, have been in the workforce for a handful of years at the most, it hasn't been the, the best experience for them. You know, th- these younger generations are not about working in a typical corporate environment like we were, you know, those of us who, you know, entered the workforce in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, they're looking at this saying, why should I have to do this? And so you look at these guys and think, okay, some of them are still at home, so they don't have to go back to the job that they don't like. But also, when you look at Gen Z and millennials, a lot of them during the, during the pandemic, when everybody was locked in at home, they did not lose their jobs. And so they've got a bunch of money sitting around. And they're like, well, you know, maybe I'm not ready to go back yet. Maybe I'm going to quit what I'm doing now. And I'm calling that, you know, we hear the great resignation, the great reboot. You know, there's a lot of people in the younger generations who said, you know what? I got off on this path after I graduated from college. I've done it for a period of time and I'm not really loving it. And so they're taking that time to step back and figure out what's next. And they're not afraid to work at Starbucks, you know, to work at Target, to do some of these other things while they figure it out. 
And is so their relationship with work is so different. Is that because they're younger? Is that because maybe they haven't you know, put on the golden handcuffs, so to speak, yet? Yep. Yeah. And the golden handcuffs, you know, it's, it's that as a real thing went away a long time ago. However, a lot of Gen Xers, certainly boomers, but a lot of Gen Xers are in that, well, I've been here 10 years. I, I can't leave. Um, I had a guy say to me a couple months ago, I'm 33. I'm too old to change jobs. I'm like, holy moly, son. No, you're not. <laughs> no, I see people in their 50s and even early 60s changing careers and jobs. And so there's, I think a lot of times that I can't go anywhere, it's all between your ears. Because we, you know, either we are so, we've convinced ourselves our organization can't live without us, or we've convinced ourselves that nobody else would hire us. And that's really dangerous thinking. And so with that in your head, it has to get really bad for you to decide to quit and go elsewhere. Um, So, you know, we talk ourselves into all kinds of stuff, but... You know, the, the younger the younger the workers are, the the more likely they are to work at to look at work as simply one aspect of their lives instead of the major aspect of their lives. You know, I was in a place the other day and I overheard a conversation. Uh, I'm 51, so these are folks around my age, and they were talking about their kids moving back in with them. Because mm-hmm. of financial constraints and having having not gone back to work yet, and there was part of me I, I had the it was like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons where I had the one the one Bugs Bunny on my shoulder saying oh what nice parents and then I had the other Bugs Bunny on the other shoulder saying are we enabling them are the parents yeah. enabling this to some degree by letting twenty somethings and even thirty somethings move back into their old room rather than. You know, some of our parents might have said, suck it up, buttercup. It's time to get out there and get to work. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, you know, part of that is, um, you know, if you're going to do that, and a lot of people had to do that during COVID, and I get it. But if you're going to do that, you've got to put parameters around it. And they've got to be working X number of hours per week, you know, and they've got to be helping around the house and paying because you don't want it to get so comfortable that they never leave. I mean, if someone was doing my laundry and making dinner every night, I'm not sure I'd want to leave. You know? <laughs> I wouldn't, so, not right? at all. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, and, and there are people who got really used to that kind of living, but I do think, you know, all work, as long as it's not illegal or unethical, is, is you know, is of value. And if you're working at Starbucks or Target or wherever you're working in Amazon Warehouse, that is honorable work, and you're not going to find your dream job or the next step in your career by sitting at home uh, playing video games or just, you know, bemoaning the lack of, uh, you know, the, the lack of the supposed lack of opportunity. There, this job market is the best that it's been in my memory, and I've been doing this for a long time. And so, when you look at the job market we're in. This is the absolute prime time to figure out what is it you want to do and put together a plan to get it. You know, back in 2008, you know, we're coming out of this, our recession years, literally you hung on to a job for dear life. And I get it. Of course you had to, but that's not where we are. And the younger generations get that. And so it's interesting, the other end of the spectrum is boomers who were getting close to retirement age, 
COVID with a lot of them, forced them back home, and they looked around and said, huh, I was going to stay for two more years, but I talked to my financial person, and this kind of being retired and doing what I want, this is this is better than I thought it was going to be. And so at the top of the age range, we have boomers who have who've said, I'm out. You know, because the thought of going back in this uncertain world and uncertain workplace for another two years at the hopes of getting maybe just a little bit more in their portfolio, they've said, you know, you know, maybe I'll work part time and, you know, and help my portfolio that way. But in the meantime, life is short and I'm not going to go back to the work I did or the way in which my employer is demanding people work that doesn't work for me anymore. And so there's this huge gap between what people of all generations and ages are looking for. It's just that your younger folks, they have less bills, less obligations, and so they can afford to be pickier, which is driving a lot of employers and talking heads crazy because they go, wow, you got to suck it up. Like you said, you know, you got to pay your dues, you know, get in there, get working. And these younger generations are saying, you know what? I've seen the way the older generations have related to work, and I'm not going to do that. And so it, it's fascinating to see how our relationship with work is changing, and it needs to. Um, but a lot of these employers are going to be dragged to kicking and screaming into it. Well, here's my, and this is my final question as we wrap up here, uh, is, the, is the permanence of that. I recall sitting on a sidewalk uh, in Boston with a cup of coffee in about 1991 and reading this long article in the Globe about how Generation X was going to reinvent the way people worked. And it didn't happen. And I saw mm-hmm. something similar someplace about the millennials, and they didn't do it either. Uh, the the old guard has is, is held strong. Uh, the, is there permanence to this? Is, the, is there finally a generation with the leverage? Or yeah. are we going to be talking about it and then... Five years from now, we're back to how it always was. So, so first of all, when you look simply at the number of people in Gen X, Millennials, Gen Z, it is, it's a funnel. So, in other words, the boomers are at the top. There are fewer people in the workforce behind the boomers. And so, just from a pure demographic standpoint, call it a talent shortage, call it a talent gap, it's absolutely here to stay. Now, you you add on top of that technology. So Gen X is going to change it. Millennials are going to change it. Well, they did not have the access to the technology that has given work from anywhere real legs. And, you know, so we have it now. And so when you think about when everybody was forced home about a year and a half ago, there were companies that I know of that were the stodgiest. We've always done it this way kind of companies and when they were forced to do it they figured it out and because they had to send people home but they still had to do the work done and so I, I know some folks at some of these companies have come back and said huh this work from home thing it's working pretty well for us and look at all this money we're saving on other things so I think it's technology and I think it's fewer people uh, in the workforce to do the jobs and so I think that those, all those things converging simultaneously is really what's going to change the way we work. And it needs to, George. I mean, we get the least amount of vacation time of any similar country in the world. And guess what? We don't even take all our vacation time because we're so afraid somebody's going to take our jobs. 
And that's ridiculous. That's why we're seeing this huge amount of burnout and people just not so anxious to come back. They've discovered that maybe there's, maybe I can work differently and have some other good things in my life as well. All righty. Well, that's a charging cry for the uh, younger generation in particular, a battle cry. <laughs> Julie Bobby, yeah. thank you for joining us on KMOX <laughs> You're welcome tonight. anytime. 1050 on KMOX. Work or play, KMOX is right there with you. We go where you go. KMOX at your service Tuesday night. George Sells with you. We've got like a minute. Time for predictions on the game tomorrow. Mike Anderson, you had a dream. I did. I don't know if this is a prediction, but I will relay what I saw in my sleep this morning. Uh, that is the Cardinals score their first run on a wild pitch, followed by a Tyler O'Neill home run, and we whoop the Dodgers. Whoop the Dodgers. Okay, whoop. That's the technical term now. So you have, you have a number? Uh, for some reason, nine is sticking out in my head. Wow. I think I remember seeing nine in my dream. Okay. I have had no dream that I'm aware of, but I, I have a memory and what is sticking with me is that Game 5 classic against the Phillies in 2011. And this has that kind of feel. I'm seeing this going old school. I'm seeing two veteran, awesome pitchers going seven, maybe eight innings each. And I'm seeing 2-1 Cardinals. That sounds a lot more likely than my dream. <laughs> I love your dream, though. I'm rooting for your dream. It's 1055. I'm George Sells. Thanks for sitting with me for the last three hours. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Go Cards. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.